across the blue line. Leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, score! It's too good to be true, but believe it! Oh, hail, Kale! Now Rubido, top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Groove. And oh. Sidorov smash! <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. What a bone-crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov. And Howard Luck has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench. Hello and welcome into another edition of Avalanche Talk, the Mile High Sports podcast where we talk all things good and bad of the Colorado Avalanche and all the latest happenings surrounding the team. I am your host, JJ Derez, as with me today again is Arif Dean. Arif, say what's up to the people. Hey, what's up, everyone? Um, I, obviously, the Avalanche, you know, that tough little stretch, I guess you can call it the December <laughs> woes or what have you, you know, I guess we saw it last year, but it's finally over for the Avalanche. Yeah. Before we get into that, I wanted to just a quick question to you, Arif. Uh, you know, you and I were both at that game against Winnipeg, uh, I guess the last time the Avalanche lost. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to really quick just kind of ask you about the vibes on that team, because that's uh, in the locker room around the team that night, because that was kind of the last night that they had, uh, I guess, a bad night, at least since we've recorded this podcast. We're recording Sunday. We're going to keep it brief for you since they do have two back-to-back games here coming up Monday, Tuesday. But, Eric, what was the vibe like after that loss against Winnipeg? You know, it was um, you kind of got the sense that enough was enough at the end of that one. Uh, after the other previous games where they had blown those leads against, for example, Carolina and Chicago and whatever it may be, uh, players still stood up in the locker room and said, it's a stretch, we'll get out of it, that happens. Um, against Winnipeg on Tuesday on New Year's Eve, it just seemed more like enough is enough. The players that did speak, and <laughs> there surely wasn't many of them, uh, they just were done with it. They, they um, I forgot who I spoke to that said that he was just – they it was Eric Johnson. They just said we're gonna tighten things up and we're just gonna move forward and put an end to this. And they did exactly that the very next game against the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, new year looks like a new team so far from the Avalanche. But that's kind of what I wanted to get into. They finally said enough is enough. But I wanted to get into the concept of of building calluses, and obviously not in a literal sense here, more yeah. of a metaphor. But you know, anything, any skill you do. Any job, you know, you have to build those metaphorical calluses. And, of course, we know this in a team like this. In in the terms of the NHL, we hear, see this happen every single year. You have a, a tough stretch, but those tough stretches are necessary for you to kind of Absolutely. learn yes. how to face adversity and, you know, just what comes with the course of an NHL season. If you don't think you're going to face adversity come playoff time, you're mistaken. So these stretches are the ones that really help you kind of build those calluses and get used to what you're going to be facing the rest of the year. There's no better time to do it than December, in my opinion. Yeah, it's right in the middle of the season. It gives you time to sort of ride the wave of momentum that you had built in October and November, which 
surely the Avalanche did do a lot of. And it gives you a lot of time in January and February and March to write the ship. And it's still about a month and a half out from the trade deadline. So you're not going to make any last second rash decisions because you might think that this is going to be a permanent stretch of, uh, you know, bad play or whatever. So, yeah, I do agree. It is a great time. It's right in the middle of the grind of that season where you're sort of just in cruise control. You know you're going to make the playoffs, but you don't really know how much effort you want to put into it. But when something like this happens, you're obviously putting a lot more effort than you had originally thought. Yeah, absolutely. It's easy to get frustrated. A lot of people in Avalanche Lane were frustrated there for that stretch. But again, you know, I think it has a lot to do with just the championship teams that we have seen from the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, you look back, those were great teams. And not only great, they were great from start to finish. I mean, it's comparable to what the Lightning were last year. You know, they have almost little adversity going through their their season. What happens at the end of the year, they kind of, uh, you know, soiled the sheets a little bit. But going back to the fans and what they're kind of accustomed to from the Avalanche is when they have a team like this that's expected to be great, expected to contend, what we're used to seeing is a team that just trucks its way through the regular season. And I guess we just had to get used to, A, this isn't the days of old where the Avalanche are built of an entire all-star team, and B, this, is, this isn't the NHL of old where teams are really going to do that on a regular basis. And, you know, that the lightning were the anomaly. So I just wanted to get that off my chest that, you know, th- these calluses have to be built. You know, when you're when you're in an activity or job that's quote unquote a grind, they have to be built. And I think, yes, it sucks to watch the avalanche struggle the way they did. But, you know, they were kind of getting their feet back under them from some injuries. And I, I think that this was necessary for what lies ahead. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. They they had to face some kind of adversity. The adversity that they faced in uh, early November when they had lost five straight, they went 0-4-1, which people tend to forget about that stretch yeah. uh, of the season. It happened when they were dealing with all those injuries, and that was sort of like the reasoning behind it is, hey, let's just get healthy, and then we'll start rolling. But literally as soon as the team got completely healthy, outside of Colin Wilson, who's still out long-term, um, they went into the stretch. It was with all four lines power, uh, powered and basically going at all cylinders. It was with all six of their top defensemen, with both goaltenders healthy, and then they started to blow these games in the third period. So I definitely do think this is the first bit of adversity they faced. Um, if there's a positive to look at during that, is even during all those losses, they were scoring a lot of goals. You know, outside of the Carolina game where uh, they only had one goal and they were holding on to that one nothing lead on the second of a back-to-back, obviously. Uh, they've continued to score a lot of goals. Winnipeg beat them 7-4. Against Chicago, they had multiple goals like that as well. So I guess, you know, their offense was always going. It was just something that Bednar highlighted many, many times after games is defensively, they were not playing as a unit. They were not back-checking. They were not playing aggressive, and they needed to tighten up, and they did against the Blues. Yeah, so perfect. Perfect segue into what we're getting into. Enough was enough, as the Avalanche said. And they got the ship headed in the right direction. So let's focus a little bit more on those two games, the Blues and the Devils most recently. Mainly the Blues, because that's really the one that, you know, that was the slump buster. The Devils, you got to expect the Avalanche to just run over the Devils, take the puck line on that one. Uh, But the Blues, I mean, that was a big one. They they slayed a dragon that they hadn't slayed in a long time. And uh, you just... Let's just pump, I guess, some of the positives from that game right now. So the first period of that game was actually very crucial. The Avalanche did not let St. Louis take a hold of that game offensively. 
it was a very tight check first period, and the shots were 8-8 eight to eight leading up to that McKinnon goal with uh, 10 seconds left or mm-hmm. 16 seconds left to make it one nothing. So the Avalanche found a way to weather the storm. They kept St. Louis off the board. They didn't let Grubauer face too much, uh, too many chances in that first period at least. He did have a couple of really good saves, um, but they found a way to keep that game close, and then once they took the lead, they ran with it. Yeah, I mean, that late goal was was huge for the Avalanche, and I found them a lot lately kind of scoring in that last minute, two minutes of the period, which really shifts the momentum in a yeah. big direction. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to really emphasize enough how much that is, how, how big of a deal that is for a team to walk into the locker room, especially against a team like the Blues who you haven't beat, and you just stole a goal, you know, you're heading the locker room, you know, just riding high. So that, that goal was huge, and I love the way both – Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen have have kind of responded to that rough stretch of hockey. Yeah, I really think that, especially with that goal, Nathan McKinnon. I mean, that was the usual cheat code Nathan McKinnon yeah. we're used to seeing, right? Just speeding yep. down and putting them right past Bennington. So yeah, that goal was crucial for for the Avs' confidence in that first period. Yeah, for sure. And uh, they didn't seem to uh, once they took that lead, they didn't seem to uh, let the game get away from them. Even when the Blues had that stretch where they came back and scored twice to make it three to two, and uh, man, that second goal was great where they won the face off and scored three seconds into their power play. But yep. anyway, that uh, was I mean that was a thing I thought yeah. was a major uh, I guess negative from that game is just the way Ryan O'Reilly dominated the face off. I mean he does that everywhere he goes <laughs> all the time against anyone he plays against. I wasn't but surprised. You could tell it was getting to the Av centerman. I mean yeah. at one point Miko Rantan even took a second after he lost the draw to just kind of slam his stick on the ground and show his frustration. Man, those. Face-offs are, are, are just killing the avalanche, but but that's neither here nor there. Go on. Yeah. Uh, to stick on that little uh, tangent that you just went on, the Devils did the same thing yesterday. They wanted to face off on the power play and scored right away. But anyway, you know, going back to that <laughs> going back to that Blues game, uh, even when the Blues scored those two goals, you sort of had the sense that the avalanche weren't going to let it rattle them. They built that 3 to nothing lead. St. Louis made it 3-2. to uh, The Pepsi Center was buzzing with Blues fans and the Let's Go Blues chants that were echoing through and sort of trying to give them that momentum. But then Kale McCarr put that digger in the game uh, and in the Blues late in the second with that power play goal. Uh, just an unbelievable shot from the point that managed to squeak through everybody, which you know many people don't really realize is a talent to be a defenseman that can shoot it from the blue line and actually get it through bodies to the net. And McCarr picked his corner and scored it, made it 4-2. to two, And then the third period came around, where the Avalanche usually have been sort of uh, collapsing lately. And they kept the foot on the pedal. They scored three more times, made it 7-2 to two before letting in a late goal. But by then, the game was over. Um, so if you're looking for positives from that game, is that enough is enough mentality that you notice after the Jets game in the locker room was absolutely true. The Avalanche were not going to let these last few games or three, four games at home, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, it was four games. And then we weren't going to let those four games at home where they were blowing games in the third period get to them. And they were just going to turn a new leaf and new calendar year, new year, new me, new Avalanche. And they stuck with that and they really just put you know, gave it to the best team in the Central Division and the Western Conference. Yeah, and I think last podcast you and I recorded together, we were talking about Makar's impact because he had just come back from injury. And, you know, I think during that tough stretch, there was a little bit of getting back into the flow of things. Well, you kind of see Makar 
getting back to his old self. And with that, you kind of see the power play getting back to mm-hmm. being a little bit more dangerous. During that rough stretch of games there, the power play and just the special teams in general was lacking. McCarr kind of gets his footing back under him. Looks like the power play is back to being dangerous like it used to be. Yeah, they went 5 for 36 in an 11 game stretch and then followed it up by going 5 for 9 in a 2 game stretch. And those two games being the Winnipeg loss and the St. Louis win. Against the Devils on Saturday, they were 0 for 3, but again, it's the Devils. They were winning by a lot of goals. It didn't really matter as much. Uh, Kale McCarr, after that Winnipeg game, uh, he sort of needed to turn things around. He was minus 4 against the Jets, and yes, they scored some empty netters with him on the ice, and that always happens to your best players. You're always going to have some dash marks attached to your name because you're going to be on the ice when your goalie is pulled. But against the Blues, he had a goal and assist. Against the Devils, he had an assist. And he just sort of has this confidence to... uh, He's, he's regaining that confidence that he had right before his injury last month. And you saw it yesterday with that third period goal where McKinnon won it right back to him. He was confident enough to skate it up the boards. He beat the winger and the defenseman and then centered it to Rantanen for a goal eight seconds in. Um, he just looks like he's sort of getting that groove back. And it's it's great for the avalanche. It's dangerous for everybody else. I, one thing I noticed, and I think I noticed it in a, just watching a highlight of McCars when he was on a power play. He was rushing the puck up. Everybody and their mom was expecting him <laughs> to drop it to Nathan McKinnon, as and we usually do. And he didn't. And yeah. he kept going. Yep. Instead, he just did a little pivot with his, with his uh, you know, kind of pointed both of his toes out and just you know opened up his hips and and just fooled everybody yeah. went right past the D. but like that's the kind of stuff i think he's really noticing that's setting him above he's kind of breaking that mold of what are they expecting me to do because i think the nhl is so tight and rigorous like you can't expect people to do something outside the box but he's kind of noticing that everybody's expecting him to not be outside of the box that he finds those gaps he finds those routes he can take along the boards and you know i i don't need to pump his tires anymore we all know how great kale mccarr is but that's just one little tidbit to his game that i noticed just watching some highlights uh, i think yesterday yeah i he's got the confidence to do that and it's just it's the new age nhl now man mm-hmm. like svechnikov scoring these lacrosse style goals we're seeing it in the world juniors players are just doing things differently and they're sort of going against the grain because they want to show that we have the skill to make this game more than what it's always been and more than what you're always going to expect and Makar is going to be one of those players because he has the skill and the ability to to try something and then still get himself back in position if necessary so I completely agree with you it's great to see him be able to do things like that Another guy we kind of ripped on a little bit on the last <laughs> podcast, I need to get back to uh, you know pumping his tires a little bit now, is JT Comfer. I, I think last time we called him out for not exactly producing as much as we'd like to, but what I've seen from him in the last few games is just getting back to that net front presence. You know, yeah. I think oh, there's been a lot of positive things happening around the net, not just with him, but with Kadri as well. Um, you know, I think Kadri's game, what he's showed us the last couple couple nights, is the same thing. He's kind of stepping back up into that net front role, and it's it's creating some havoc, and it's causing good things for the Avalanche. So I like what I'm seeing from those guys and, and the net front presence. I'd like to see Gabe Landeskog make himself a little bit more seen. But the net front presence is one of the positives I t- I've been taking away from the last couple games. Yeah, JT Confer's got two goals and two assists in his last six games, and that dates back to that Vegas game where he had that great setup on the shorthanded play to I think it was Calvert or maybe Nieto for that breakaway goal 
Uh, the last two games, he's played a lot of minutes. He scored against the Blues, and he's just been – he has actually eight shots in the last two games combined. So he's just sort of been there playing 16, 17 minutes, shorthanded, power play. Obviously, he's back on the power play with the new uh, units that Bednar has been using. And uh, he's been a force, and I'm starting to notice that Tyson Jost has been playing a little bit better, and mm -hmm. it's probably because of JT Comfort being able to set him up for opportunities that he wouldn't have otherwise. Certainly, certainly. And then uh, lastly, for my notes uh, on, on the positives that I've seen in the last few games, I really see a lot of penalties being drawn by the Avalanche yeah. that are hardworking penalties. You know, they're going in the corners, they're beating guys out of them with the puck on their stick, and the guys are getting lazy and, and you know, putting their st stick in their hands or in their skates and that's positive. You know, you love to see just those hardworking earned penalties because that's kind of what the Avalanche got away from for a second is those going to the corners, mucking it up, and, and now they're earning some calls, which yeah. is nice to see. And speaking of Tyson Jost, he had a great one at that in the St. Louis Blues game, and I am 95% sure it was the power play that led to that McCarr goal that made it 4-2. to two which was a big turning point in that game. So it's been coming from everybody. Obviously, Kadri's one of the best in the league. McKinnon is one of the best in the league. Anybody with speed, Makar, they've been drawing penalties. But uh, it's it's been a great turnaround, and it's been leading to a lot of power play opportunities, which is why the Avalanche were able to go 5-for-9 in two games because they had nine opportunities in two games against the Jets and the Blues, two of the better teams in the in the West. Yeah, it's just amazing to me, though. You know, everybody on the ice knows what the Avalanche are looking to do on the power play. They still get it done. They still get those one-timers across, and it's, 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 such a, it's such a great thing to see when that power play is flowing, but everybody was getting so rattled about how bad it was. I'm glad that they're kind of figuring that out now, but it's still not at the elite level that it needs to be. They still got to make some steps forward, and hopefully, you know, we see down here after All-Star break that those numbers, and they keep sliding up the ranks of power play percentage. Yeah, and uh, obviously I think one of the little things that we've sort of completely forgotten about in regards to the power play is uh, Andre Burakovsky. He hasn't scored in a really long time, and he's one of the Avalanche's weapons. He had eight power. He has eight power play points on the season, and most of those came within the first 15 to 20 games. So that's just one piece that's sort of, uh, you know, in a little bit of a tough stretch of his own. And obviously the injuries, Landeskog is just getting back into his own. He's only has 17 points or 18 points now on the season. So I think it'll take some time. But like we were saying before, it's still game 42. This is the perfect time to figure things out and sort of get those kinks out and uh, get get the ball rolling, you know, going into February, March, and then April. For me, it's kind of tough to watch them struggle to find – a spot for Burakovsky you know I really like the way he played with Nathan McKinnon of course with Donskoy thrown in the mix you really got to decide who goes where um, I'd love to see that Burakovsky McKinnon co connection come back just because Burakovsky is one of those guys that just plays better when he's around more talent of course you could say that for a lot of people but he has a hard time carrying depth guys by himself where when he's being carried on the line I think he's a lot more effective I'd like to see him get more of a chance with those top minutes again instead of kind of seeing him slide down the depth chart to be honest I still think the best most ideal situation for the avalanche right now is to put Donsko and Burakovsky back with McKinnon and put Ranton and Landeskog with Kadri um because if you, if or when you do need to switch things up, you easily just bump Ranton and back up to that line or just switch the centerman, Kadri, and McKinnon. And obviously McKinnon is used to being double-shifted here and there anyway. But I think Burakovsky and Donskoy are their most effective with McKinnon, and Ranton and Landeskog are good enough to play with a lesser center like Kadri. 
and don't necessarily need someone like McKinnon to carry them. Yep, I'm with you. I like that idea. But, you know, we'll see how the lines keep getting juggled. And, of course, nothing set in stone. I'm sure come playoff time we'll probably be making some different points of why other guys should be on top lines and, and yeah. et cetera. But a couple things I wanted to point out of the negative category, things that I think they need to improve on, is I think we've seen a handful, way too many, two-on-ones from the avalanche where the guy holding the puck is either just holding it too long, ends up shooting it right into the goalie, you know, not not very contested, or he's missing the net. You know, I think they just need to kind of decide faster on those two-on-ones. They're looking for that pass for a little bit too long, and, and we've seen it just turn into nothing way too many times lately. Landeskog to Calvert yesterday. Landeskog had the view of Calvert. He didn't pass it. He held on too long. He got in close to Blackwood in the first period, gave Andy Green enough time to sort of get in and put that stick in front of the puck. And they've sort of had that happen to them many, many times. That's just the most obvious example because it was almost a 2 on 0 breakaway. But Landeskog sort of had a little freeze moment there for a second, and it sort of threw everything off for them. But Well, it's, I get it. It's, it's, it's yeah. very team mentality. They're trying not to be selfish, but there's situations especially on two-on-ones where you just if your shoot. pass is taken away, it's taken away. Just step up and, and rip it, right? Yeah. The closer uh, you get, the easier it's going to be for the goalie. So don't take so long. And when you do rip it, obviously make sure you try to hit the net. It's funny to <laughs> yeah, it's funny to say I think it was actually Landeskog who ended up scoring, but when JT – or not JT, but Tyson Jost had that two-on-one against the Blues – or against the Jets, completely missed the net. It bounced off the end boards, came back to the other corner, and it sort of set up Landeskog for the tap-in. Um, but yeah, they have had a lot of those missed opportunities, and they've been scoring on different kinds of plays, but they probably should have a lot more goals than they do, and they've been scoring a lot of goals anyway. You uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, it looks like they're kind of figuring out slowly, but the third periods are still kind of an issue. They let the Blues back in that game, third period. They let almost New Jersey back in that game, mm -hmm. third period. Luckily, the goal scoring went nuts in the end of both of those games, but um, the third periods still need to be cleaned up. I mean, what do you think is going wrong with third periods? What do they got to do to kind of fix that? I mean, how, how many times have we heard from Bednar since he got here that he wants his guys to play a full game? They're still having a hard time finishing it. The Avalanche are the best second period team in the league. They are a plus 24, and the next best team is a plus 11 in terms of goal differential. Uh, that's just a crazy number. And I think what's happening is first periods of hockey games are usually a feel-out process. The Avalanche get their legs under them in the second period, and then the offense starts to come. And then they're having trouble tightening it up defensively in the third rather than sticking to that offensive go-go-go mentality. Against the Jets, they score two goals in the third. They let in four. Against the Blues, they scored all those goals. They scored three times in the third, but they let in that one late one, which obviously wasn't as big a deal. Against the Devils, they scored three goals in the third, but they still let in two. So obviously, you know, I don't want to sort of be somebody who's advocating for the NHL to go back to let's just win games one nothing and 2-1 to one or things like that. But the Avalanche, when they have a lead going into the third, have to find a way to be able to not take as many risky opportun uh, opportunities and chances and sort of sit back and tighten up defensively and make the safer play and win the game 4-1 to one rather than 5-4, to four, for example. I mean, it's not like they don't know that. They're pros. Yeah. It's just funny to me how uh, it seems to be, you know, once it becomes a trend is when you kind of start worrying about it. It's kind of hard to point your finger at one thing aside from, hey, guys, just wake up and play the safe way. But in reality, it just kind of seems like it, just a small stretch where third periods are an issue. 
Am I wrong? Do you think it's something that they need to address that's that's a bigger issue than it kind of seems right now? Or am I kind of with that this is just kind of part of that tough stretch? They're still trying to, you know, iron a few things out here and there. Well, it's also uh, something to be said about the fact that when you're leading heading into the third period, it's always going to be the team that's trailing that's going to have their foot on the pedal and have more chances and more opportunities and that's why we've seen so many games lately especially when you add that to the fact that the avalanche are the best second period team in the league that's why we've seen so many almost shutouts like i like to call them lately with francis and with grubauer yesterday was another example where you'll get sort of late into that third period or into that third period before surrendering the first goal it's the other team is gonna always want to put their foot on the pedal and sort of get those chances in the third I would be more worried, um, not that I'm not worried about the fact that the Avalanche blew four straight games in the third period, um, or whatever it was, but I would be more worried if they were entering the third period tied three, four, five times in a row and always losing, letting the other team get the upper hand of the third when both teams are fighting for the same goal at that point, win a period to win a game. Um, right now, the Avalanche are entering the third periods up a goal or you know up multiple goals and sort of sitting back a little bit more than they should, which again is still an issue, but it's something that can be corrected a little bit quicker. Well, we know you're going to spend the entire season trying to figure things out here and there. These are just the problems that are rising right now so it seems for now they've kind of corrected the direction of the ship and everything's going the right way would you say you're on board with that yeah i know these these boat references yeah Um, i definitely agree so that being said let's look ahead at what we got in front of us we got the islanders the rangers and the penguins coming up this week um starting with a back-to-back islanders rangers it's going to be fun to see varlamov hopefully he gets the start but um you know it's going to be weird sentimental um, I'm happy that they're getting this one out of the way on the road in Long Island before you know he comes here, just so we can kind of know what to expect from Varley in an Islanders uniform. Yeah, the Islanders have kind of been in a little bit of a rough stretch since mid-December. Uh, they lost, a, they've lost a whole bunch of games and given up a lot of goals, which is something that they don't usually do. Their last two games were a two-to-one loss to the Devils that the Avalanche just completely destroyed, and. A 3 to nothing shutout on Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are starting Hutchinson in that. So their offense has kind of dried up a little bit, and uh, the Avalanche need to take advantage of that because the Islanders are a very hard team to beat when they're operating at all cylinders and playing the way that they play to win games. Right now, the Avs might catch them at a time where their confidence is sort of shot a little bit. Uh, Varlamov is obviously going to have a ton of... You know, a, a lot of money on the board and a big reason to play probably this best game of the season. But the Avs have been scoring a lot of goals lately, and I think they need to continue that, and I think it's a winnable game. Yeah, and they know how to beat Varlamov. I mean, they've shot yeah. against him for years in practice. It's interesting to me, though. This isn't the same Varlamov. I've had the chance to watch a couple of Islanders games this year, and what I've noticed from him is he's really tightened up his stance. I mean, you remember he used to have one of the widest five holes just because he's so flexible and agile that his hips had no problem doing that, but obviously that creates problems with moving side to side and creating a huge five hole. You're not going to you're not going to get too much power when you're moving. Um so he's tightened up his his stance and he's not that spastic goalie we used to see. He's yeah. really calmed down a lot. You'll notice he's just not so flaily. He's not so slidey around. He's just very calm. Just a much different goalie. It's been interesting to see 
I'd love to look at the numbers, see how it's affected him, whether it's negative or positively, but there's definitely been a change in his game. Just thought I'd throw that out there from years of watching Varlamov. It struck me when I was watching him again recently. Yeah, uh, you're the goalie guy. You're the goalie guy, so you're going to be the one that's obviously going to catch these things more so than me and the other average fan. But at the same time, Mitch Korn is his goalie coach now, and we've seen what he's done to many goalies in the NHL with the Islanders, with the Capitals, with the Predators. He sort of follows Barry Trotz around. So um, he definitely is making a difference in Varlamov's career and sort of reinvigorating his career so late into it. Looking at the game immediately following, this one's going to be on Tuesday, New York Rangers. Not exactly a threatening team, but it's not always a, a comforting feeling going into the second night of a back-to-back. So... What do you expect to see from that game, uh, especially from the Avalanche standpoint? Uh, from the Avalanche, I expect to see them, you know, as compared to other back-to-backs where they have to play two nights later, I expect them to lay it all out on the line because after that Rangers game, they have two days off, then they play the Penguins at home, and then they have three days off before they go into their stretch of four games before the All-Star break. So this will be an opportunity for Bednar to sort of play his big guns and you know lay it all out on the line because you're going to have 5 out of 6 days coming up without a ho- or yeah 5 out of 6 days coming out coming up without a hockey game that night so i think the avalanche are going to find a way to win both of these games um they're riding a lot of momentum right now the rangers are not you know the biggest threat in the nhl they have a great offense they're very fun to watch panarin's got 55 points in exactly half a year in 41 games so he's obviously living up to the contract that he got uh but i think that is a winnable game for the avalanche whether it's lundquist or gorgiev they've they've lit up both of those goalies in the past and they can do it again on tuesday assuming that you know they don't run into any injury issues or things like that. Yeah, I think the confidence thing that you pointed out is really one of the biggest factors. I mean, there's something to be said. Of course, every NHL team's tough, but there's something to be said about ending a losing streak against the defending cup champions, not only that, a team that you've struggled against. So I think they're riding high. They, they believe in themselves fully. That's how you kind of knew that the game against the Devils was going to be a routing, but now's the real test. This Islanders team is a good team. Sure, they've been struggling lately, but this this one's going to really kind of tell us where they're at mentally, the Avalanche. Um, and then, of course, I think you're right. I don't think – no matter what happens in Long Island, I don't think they lose against the Rangers for the reason you said. They're going to leave it all out there. They know that they're going to have that break, and that's a, that's a really good point. Now, coming home against Pittsburgh, wrapping up our look ahead here. Um, Friday night, Pittsburgh, after a couple days break. Pittsburgh, you know, it's kind of interesting. They've – Lost a lot of players, uh, I guess a lot of man games to injuries, but they're still kind of on a, on a nice little winning streak. So uh, do you ex- expect that to be a speed bump for Colorado? If there's any game to worry about, it is that one, and it's for two reasons. Number one, people don't realize this, but the Penguins are ahead of the Avalanche in the standings. They have one point more and a game in hand. It goes Washington, Boston, St. Louis, and then Pittsburgh before Colorado. Um, Obviously, that also means Colorado has passed the Islanders. They might have a couple games in hand, but tomorrow could fix that on Monday if they beat them. But the Penguins are just rolling right now. Brian Rust has 17 goals and 17 assists in 26 games. He's got 34 points, and that's like their fifth more most useful forward in this on this on on their roster if they're fully healthy the second reason why the penguins might be an issue is because Sidney crosby's nearing a return and there's a big chance that it's going to be that game and we all know that crosby loves to score against the avalanche and everyone and when he comes back from long breaks it doesn't seem to rattle him so 
the Penguins are already playing great. Tristan Jari's playing great in net. He's been on a little bit of a stretch, sort of taking over that starting role. And if Crosby comes back, that is going to be a hard-fought match. I don't want to say for sure the Avalanche are going to lose that game because the Avalanche are still the Avs. They're one of the best teams in the league. Um, but that's going to be a really tough game for the Avs, for sure, coming up. Indeed, indeed. But I think a, a 2-1 record in the next three games, I think, we'll all take. So Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, all in terms of Colorado Avalanche themselves. I've got, I wanted to look ahead here at the World Juniors that just wrapped up today. Again, we are recording on Sunday. Um, we had a handful of Avalanche that participated in the World Junior Championship this year, as we do every year. At yeah. least future Avalanche, I guess, is more the the correct term to say. Um, I guess just what's your takeaway from the Avs prospects that played in the tournament this year? So I saw all three of them at the World Junior Showcase in Plymouth back in uh, the summer when they were out there. Sam Ranta played a bigger offensive role out there than he did this time around. He was still the offensive force that he could be. He just couldn't get lucky and find the score sheet. He finished with two assists. Bowen Byram sort of looked a lot like he did in the summer where he's more of a depth defenseman on a, on a stacked Canadian team. Um, and he finished also with two assists. But the golden boy we all love is the Finnish goalie, Justice Anunen, who's had an uh, excellent season uh, in, the fin- in the Finnish Elite League, I think it is, um, and backstopped Finland to a great tournament, uh, beat USA in that great one nothing game or whatever, and... Uh, he was the best player there, and he's probably the one I'm most excited about, and that includes Bowen Byram. Yeah, he had a couple, Ananin, that is, had a couple of, I guess, blips in his game, especially today in the bronze medal game. He let in rather weak goal against mm-hmm. Sweden, but what he did against the U.S. I think was extremely impressive. He looks just like a mini Tuka Rask out there, just extremely tight. Love his butterfly, love his reads. Uh, I like what I see from Eustace Ananin for sure. Um, lastly... All-star lineups were recently released. Nathan McKinnon so far being the only representative for the Colorado Avalanche, looking to vote Kale McCarr in there. Um, You know, all-star is not something I usually like to talk too much about, and most people have the same opinion on it. But I guess your thought on the Avalanche only having one representative as of now. Well, once McCarr does get voted in, because it seems like he's the... He's the obvious choice for the Central Division. Those are the two players that deserve to be there. Uh, Ranton has missed way too many games to be considered. Burakovsky has cooled off. Kadri's cooled off. Donskoy's cooled off. After McKinnon, 64 points. The next leading scorer on the Avalanche is in the 30s. So it complete, <coughs> excuse me, it completely makes sense. And uh, once Makar does get voted in, which I'm pretty confident he will... Uh, those are the two representatives that deserve to be there, and those are the two that will be there. You just got to feel bad for Nathan McKinnon at some point because he's always the representative. He always has to be the face of the team. We saw Dylan Larkin over in Detroit's comments this past week about how he doesn't want to go. He likes the time off. These guys hate it. The fans seem to hate it. Still, we get the same conversation every year. Why are we still doing this? So you feel bad for the guys. I I hope Kale McCarr doesn't get voted in just for the simple fact that he can rest. He's obviously a little bit banged up. This long season isn't exactly what he's used to, so I'd prefer to see him just have a nice weekend in Cabo or something like that. Just lay off the booze. That's pretty much what the All-Star game has become, just having a nice weekend, and but except you're doing it on ice and sort of 
no one really tries. It's just the way it is. Even with the $1 million prize that they give to the winning division, it's still a very, very nonchalant, laid-back game where it looks like you're skating with your kids. If you're a hockey, uh, an older veteran with children and you have like an outdoor rink and you're just skating with them between games, like it's not really going to affect them too much. I think we're getting to that point where McKinnon is going to start to take a step back like guys like Ovechkin have and guys like Marc-Andre Fleury who just uh, uh, took a step back from the All-Star game after being announced as one of the starters for that for their division. Ovechkin cracks me up because for years he's been saying how he hates going to the All-Star game. He always tried to get out of it. Now he just uses the excuse, oh, I'm too old and I need to get freshened up for the playoffs. And everybody buys it now just because you know, he's got a head full of gray hair and he finally got a cup. Now everybody's like, okay, Ovi, you take your break. When before it seemed like there was a lot more disdain towards his decisions. You know, obviously the way that I see it with Ovi, uh, he put in his time. He didn't just show up to All-Star Games. He show up and he put, he showed up and he put on a show. Marc-Andre Fleury is the same exact way. These are guys with personalities that showed their personalities. We saw what Ovechkin did in, in Montreal that one year uh, with him and Malkin and the sunglasses and the fun and the mm-hmm. shootout and all that and wearing the Canada hat and all that fun stuff like the guy gave his time. Uh, Dylan Larkin's comments, I don't agree with. He hasn't really given his time. Um, you know, in the end, the All-Star game, like Jeff Merrick always likes to say on Sportsnet, it's for the kids. It's not for fans like you and me. It's not for the people that are probably going to listen to this. It's for the kids that want to go out there and see a bunch of name, big names out there at the same time and watch, uh, watch them walk the red carpet and things like that. And the NHL continues to do it for that reason. Yeah, and in the end, there is no right answer. Yeah. You know, if you get rid of it, then... You know, you're smacking the kids in the face. If you let it keep going, you're slapping everybody else in the face. So nobody wins. Um, but I guess that's all I've got for the dog. Anything you want to point out before we wrap this up? Uh, anything you want to mention, Avalanche or otherwise? Yeah, the only thing that I want to do is just uh, sort of talk about how great this season has been for the Avalanche now that we're at the halfway point. If you go through the Avalanche roster and you just look at everybody's point totals and their offensive production, uh, nearly the entire team is on pace for a career year. From Ryan Graves to Sam Girard to Matt Calvert, who's just playing out of his mind, JT Comfer, uh, all of these guys are on pace. All the new guys, Nachushkin, Donskoy, and Kadri maybe, and even... Uh, uh, Burakovsky, even though he's been in a little bit of a stretch. So I think we sort of need to just sit back and remember that these Avalanche were not very good a couple years ago. And at this time last year, they were looking like a team that was just a one-year flash in the pan and going to miss the playoffs again. So I think we need to all just take a, you know, take a second to sit back and you know, just appreciate how good this team is, what Joe Sackick has created, and the fact that we can talk about a stretch like what just happened the last couple of weeks and still be in second place in the Central, second in the West, and fifth in the NHL is just something that the Avalanche are not used to, and it's something we definitely should appreciate. The Avalanche are in for, for about a decade of great hockey, and it's only just begun. Yeah, well said, and, you know, it's a halfway point of the season, and considering what we talked about to open the show, I think that's a very relevant thing to bring up. Um, you know, you'd hate to be in kind of, I, I don't know, I look around the league at, say, Calgary. You'd hate to be in their shoes where they don't know which direction they're going. Are they going up? Are they going down? Are they a good team? Are they a bad team? They're still trying to figure it out. Avalanche have their rubric pretty much laid out for them. They just maybe a couple tweaks here and there, and this is going to be a great team this year and for years to come. Uh, you know, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but I think you're right. That's a great thing to point out that, Everybody take a deep breath. Yes, it was a tough stretch, but you need those calluses to keep, you know, being great at what you do. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny that we mentioned Tampa Bay earlier, and it's funny that we always talk about how not facing adversity is a big deal. Um, And we always sort of created it like it was this, quote, myth that was, you know, that we talk about as media or as fans. But at the end, uh, Tampa Bay's coach, John Cooper, said it himself. And, you know, people were surprised when he was public about it at the end of their, you know, their their four-game loss in that series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. He straight up stood there and said, we never faced any adversity this season. As soon as things went down after that 3 nothing lead in game one that we blew, we didn't know how to get out of it because we hadn't seen adversity in over yeah. a year. They so, threw in the towel after game two in that series. So. It's a it's a very, very real thing. Uh, they did. That was the game that Kucherov got suspended as well. But, you know, we're not the Tampa Bay Lightning podcast, but it is mm-hmm. a it is a real thing to to talk about how if you don't face adversity all year when the playoffs come around, you have to understand that things are not going to be as as easy as they are in the regular season. When you do face adversity, you have like two days to figure it out because the Avalanche's most recent stretch, losing four or five, that's a series loss right there. You can't have that in the playoffs. Well, I guess that's a good lesson for all of us. You yeah. know, keep working at what you do, build those calluses, face adversity because it's just going to make you stronger in yep. the long run. Time to get to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week brought to you by me. Star number three, I got used to Zaninen. I already pointed out why. I just like what I saw from him in that game against the USA. I think he won that game by himself, shut down the USA sharpshooters, really made the USA look bad. Not pumped about that, but what really matters is the avalanche more than the U-20 junior teams, right? Yeah. Star number two, I'm going to give it to Sam Gerrard. Funny, we didn't even really bring up his name once this I was podcast. Hoping, I was hoping you would mention it here so that I didn't have to, but yeah, eight assists in his last three games. Yeah, absolutely, and I, you know, you, you brought it up when you were talking about Kale McCarr earlier about how he's getting those shots to the net, which is hard to do as a defenseman. I think that's something Sam Gerrard has really gotten good at this year. I think I've said that on a podcast prior, but... They're not exactly shots that he's hoping to get in the net, but they're shots that he's getting to the net, and that's where they're creating a lot of their offense, offense, the rebounds, the redirects. And so shout-out to Sammy G. I think he's doing a great job back there. Like a little bit, like him tightening up a little bit on the defensive end, but I like what I'm seeing. I I really do. Yeah, um, and that's when, you know, guys like JT Comfer and Gabe Landeskog are going to pick up those scrap pieces in front of the in the in front of the net in the crease. It's when guys like Sam Gerrard could get the puck to the net. So it's definitely be, uh, been something that he's done a lot better at, and it shows he has eight assists in his last three games, and he's sort of playing with a lot of confidence, and it's something that, you know, he can only build. He's still only the same age as McCarr, and we forget about that because he's been here for three years. Star number one. Got to go to Miko Rantanen. I mean, right off of his second hat trick of his career, uh, you know, I think he's really starting to get his feet under him after a lot of injuries and everything this year. And not only that, he's becoming quite the social media presence. This nickname of the Moose is really taking off. People are loving, and you know, he's just a great personality. People love to see it. I love that the rest of the league is noticing Miko Rantanen. Yeah, he went through a little bit of a stretch there after coming back and you know scoring four points in his first game back and having 16 in his first 10 or whatever it was, um, being taken off the McKinnon line, being sort of flip-flopped around the power play units. He sort of had a little bit of a rough stretch these last couple of weeks. Um, but it looks like he's getting it back under him, and him and McKinnon are playing like the way that they have for the last two years. It's also really, really funny to see that 
His last hat trick was scored during that 2017 season when he scored 20 goals and 39 points. It was against the Montreal Canadiens. And during these last two years of him and McKinnon's like offensive explosion, it's actually funny to see that he never had any hat tricks during those years. Mm. But number two was yesterday. Here it is. Are you going to sing the song? <laughs> the Miko Rantanen yeah. song? <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, like I said at the beginning, this is going to be a shorter podcast. Not much shelf life on it since we got two games to look forward to here on Monday and Tuesday. So I hope you enjoy. Thank you all for joining us and listening. Uh, let us know what you think and tell your friends. Other than that, hopefully we'll be back here this week. If not, we'll definitely be back to record next Sunday. We're going to be making the Sunday usual thing. You know, I know a lot of podcasts out there especially NHL podcasts, do record on Sundays. So if you are spending some time with us during the week, we really do appreciate it. So shout out to you. Let us know you're listening. Let us know what you think. And other than that, I think uh, that's all we got, right? That's all we got. We have three Avalanche games coming up Monday through Friday, and we'll be ready for you next weekend. All right. Enjoy. For uh, Arif Dean, I'm JJ. We out you.